Good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this Hacking the Red Circle conversation, where we talk to people in the TEDx world you'll want to know better. The show is designed to learn what it takes to produce, organize, promote, and create a world-class event. If you're an experienced organizer, you'll get some great tips. Veteran organizers share lessons they've learned so that first-timers can avoid common missteps. There are hundreds of amazing people in the TEDx universe, and we talk to a lot of them. If this is your first time to the show, welcome. We produce Hacking the Red Circle every week. You'll want to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Now, on with the show. Hey, everybody. How are you? I am so excited today. I've got Phil Klein with us on the show. He is formerly from TEDx Rainier, where he was the co-founding curator, and he now is a core team member at TEDx Seattle. He's working on salons and smaller events. Phil, how are you? I'm doing great. So good to be with you, Mark. Oh, you know, you, you have been around the TEDx universe and the TED universe for a long time. I'm curious, what's your TED origin story? When was the first time you had a little taste of TED? Well, I in 2007, I started to see the videos showing up. I was uh, at a nonprofit yep. technology conference, and I met uh, Siegfried Holdeck, who did the talk about identifying the self-portraits in Leonardo da Vinci's paintings. Mm. And he said to me, after a long conversation on a road trip, that, uh, you know, Phil, you should think about going to TED. And then a year oh. later, I was uh, spending a year abroad in the Caribbean uh, on a small island in Martinique. And so it was a time far away. And I thought, when I go back to the U.S., I, I'm going to want to expand my conference experience. And as things do kind of seem to happen when they should, uh, I was invited to come to TED Global. And so in 2009, I went to my first TED Global in Oxford. And <laughs> what, what a great event, right? Blew, oh, yeah. my goodness. Yeah. It just blew away. Yeah. I mean, and I'm, I've been a conference um, aficionado, if you will, uh, since my you know early days. And Yet this blew my mind. Uh, here were the most impressive people, also the most interested in who you were and mm, wanting to get mm -hmm, to know mm -hmm. and having great conversations. And, um, you know, uh, it just was a it was it was a spark that had been waiting to light for many years. And so I was very grateful. And then coming back to Seattle, um, uh, Nassim Asefi, who is a TED fellow and uh as was a friend who I met at TED Global, <laughs> but who lives here in Seattle. Right. Um, she said, hey, Phil, let's bring some of the spirit of TED, TED oh, Global there you to go. Seattle. There you go. And so was born the first uh, TEDx Rainier, uh, which was the event we co-founded in 2010. And um, the theme was Seattle's signature in the world, uh, local ideas going global. And it set the tone for our signature event that's happened every year since then. And we ended up merging the event with TEDx uh, Seattle uh, last year. And and how, so, did, how did that come about, the merging? Because there's there's so, been kind of changes in the licensing and things yeah. like that. Was it because you couldn't use Rainier anymore? 
Well, no, actually, it was it was it was a little simpler than that. It's in a way, it's a case of converging evolution. Mm. So TEDx mm. Seattle actually was the was held in two thousand in early two thousand ten, and um, it was held by a uh, 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 a by a local organizer who um, who held the event from the. Uh, University of Washington's multimedia and digital uh, organ- digital uh, media organization. Uh, Hanson Hossein was his name. Uh, I attended that event. Nassim and I, I attended the event, and it was really coming from a digital media perspective uh, right. through the University of Washington. Nassim and I wanted to have more of a, a, a global themed event, right. and um, we so we 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 started the event and so TEDx Seattle had been taken as a name so we started TEDx Rainier which is a uh, an iconic mountain yeah, oh, in the region absolutely so it, it made sense at the time and um and we had that event and TEDx Seattle was held another two times um, by different curators and then that li- the license lapsed and so we convened with the prior organizer. Uh, Barry Cohen and uh, and agreed that we would basically unify our uh, organization so that TEDx Rainier became the more familiarly recognizable TEDx Seattle. Um, but basically, we're the same TEDx Rainier team that has um, kind of connected with the TEDx Seattle team. Exactly. Long, but no, no, you know, no. I, you, name you, changes are challenging, but they they work their way. Well, forward. we were TEDx American Riviera because TEDx Santa mm. Barbara was taken, but was dormant. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't the it wasn't an easy way to go get it. It was all convoluted. And and those of you who are listening who've been through your license dramas, you know, it's just it's just part of it. And it's it's al- always great when it ends up. The, to be the brand that you really want to build something long lasting underneath. You know, I know that is with us with TEDx Santa Barbara. It's right downtown and the, and the community feels very, uh, aligned with that. Whereas the convention and visitor bureau likes to call us the American Riviera. So it was better for the community. Didn't, didn't you have Jackson Brown at one of your events? No, I would love to get no, Jackson. Was that a different event? Yeah, that was a different. Jackson lives here. Um, I should, I should actually get a hold of him and see if he'll do the music for us. That would be, <laughs> that would be great. How many? Well, he uh, was at a TEDx though. Yes. Go yes. On. How, how many TEDx's have you been to? I mean, have you ever, do you keep track? Um, so yes. I mean, I haven't counted them all. Um, I've been to at least 12 uh, TEDx Semester at Sea, TEDx Port of Spain, TEDx University of Washington, TEDx Beacon Street, TEDx Midwest, TEDx Orcas Island, TEDx Women's Correctional. Uh, probably traveled farthest to the Port of Spain event, which was fantastic um, in uh, Trinidad. Um, and then, of course, um, I spoke at TEDx Anchorage and TEDx Tamaya, and, and more recently at TEDx Everett. So... It is such an amazing community, and uh, whether it's been the TED, TEDx Summit or other events where we get to gather together right, with right. other organizers, those are fantastic. Now, will you be at TED Fest or will you be at TED in Vancouver? Neither. I'm actually hosting TED Seattle Live, TEDx Seattle Live. Oh, right. So you're doing um, the so simulcast. We're, holding, we're doing the simulcast for a day, and I'm hosting a couple TED Cinemas, uh, which I also did last year. Um I'm, you know, like there's this always this question after your first event about what is the life of the community of your attendees. 
And so having events that punctuate the year is a great opportunity. Historically, TEDx Rainier and Seattle are in the fall. So for us to have the, um, you know, to have an event in the spring is a nice thing for our attendees. I, I and love that. I just feel like it's nice to convene that way, right? Yeah, I wish, you know, it's the thing for me is I would, I would love a life where I was at a different TEDx every weekend. It's it's so inspirational to be, you know, it, it, here, I'd love to hear your take on this. When you went to Global, you had been watching videos, and I think there's this way to experience TED that a lot of people have, which is through videos. They're out of context. They're not within an emotional arc of a day. You know, they're not, someone hasn't curated one after another after another. You just watch these videos that people have told you about. Then you went to TED Global. And you got to see what a curated event is like, where someone has thoughtfully planned what talk precedes and follows each other talk. How do you think that, what's what's the experience like for someone who hasn't actually gone to a live event yet? There might be someone listening who hasn't. Hmm. Well, if you haven't been to an event, um, I would add to what you've offered. It's not only the curation and the framing and planning, envisioning of the arc of each session, of where each mm-hmm. talk begins mm-hmm. and goes. It's also every communication and contact that's happened from the time you first hear about the event to the email you may be getting a few days before the event or a couple of weeks into the event, continuing to kind of build mm. out, you know, the anticipation mm. for what this could be. Um, you've already perhaps engaged with what the theme of the event is. So you've, you've started to activate your curiosity about what would it mean to, to think about changing places or, or the rediscovery of wonder or whatever mm-hmm. theme there may have been. So you've, you're primed for an exploratory experience and, and then you you arrive and you meet people who are also there for that same inquiry, exploration, sharing, mind melding, <laughs> interactive <laughs> yeah. dynamic, right? Learning, uh, sure, you know, learning, structured networking, informality and formality bridged by high quality uh you know, activations and, and curation and, and, and you, and you flow through this day because it's both highly planned and yet also very open to possibilities. Mm. I can't tell you, uh, a single event, you know, as a curator, you know, Oh, this, this moment is going to be a peak moment. There are some right. peaks, you know, in advance, sure, but sure. there are always incredible surprises you know, almost always for the better. Sometimes, yes. you know, there are yeah, yeah. challenges that, that happens. happen. Sure. Um, but the thing is, is that it ends up being a best day of the year for so many people. And it, and what's happened, what happens is that, you know, each event creates the shape and um, substance of a culture for experiencing and for seeing. And I think, you know, you always carry with you, the cultures you've explored and been in. And that's what it's like for me to actually be at events. So when you say, mm. Oh, I'd love to go to one every weekend. Yes. I'm right with you. And I, and I feel like I've embraced that, you know, like I will regularly check to see which webcasts are going to be on in the right. next 
week or, or month or, you know, and then opportunistically or strategically, I'll look and see where can I reconnect with that culture that, you know, has become a key part of, of what I define myself. Um, the, the, the first door that I think it showed me was that, you know, like, it was like, I'm inside my world, I see the surroundings and the horizon and so on. And all of a sudden, there was this door that appeared. It was like an exit, right? You know, it's like, you can actually, there's an outside to this closet I've been living in. There's this world where people are passionately curious, willing and eager to engage, who are as interested in what they don't know as what they already know, uh, and and who have room and space uh, for just how much greater than we are and that we know ourselves to be to emerge and to thrive and to connect with others who, who are also willing to, you know, step out into this new world. When you think about uh, your event and that, and, and I'm, I'm going to stay on uh, salons and smaller events that you do, what is it that you do, you, do you explicitly figure out how do we make this uniquely Seattle or Pacific Northwest or geographic centric or culturally centric? Hmm. Well, uh, yeah. So I'll, I, I think it's a similar process as the theme selection process for a large scale event or for a, you know, a, a regular TEDx. However, it, it, it can be a little more tightly focused, you know, with salons, you do have sort of the, you know, the licensing openness to having a specific topic that you explore but i tend yes. to focus a little broader than that and and have a little bit more of a theme to it so really it is sort of that what what is what is what is wanted and needed that's not here now right so some of the themes that i've had for um the for salons that i've liked have been um the functions of fantasy exploring um how fantasy authors have meaningful contributions to make to us who are not fantasy authors, right? Right. Um, and, and what is about that creating a world process, imagining a world and then living in it as a writer, uh, that, that is a, something that we should engage our imaginations in doing as ordinary people. And it was, Fascinating, uh, I, fascinating I, conversation. I, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, I would love to hear um, that. And, oh, it was, it was really great. Um, now, uh, one of, and, and for that event specifically, which, uh, you know, you could take certain, I don't want to say liberties, but there's a little greater flexibility, right? Because you have fewer moving parts. People's expectations aren't as primed over a longer period of time. And it's designed to be more interactive in nature. So, right. in fact, for that event, I actually changed the design of the event fairly substantially just a couple hours before the event. We had about 150 people and uh, a number of noteworthy authors were present, but they knew each other. I had good chemistry with them and we had an unbelievable conversation. You know, at those moments where you're looking out in the audience or, you know, if you're in the audience, you can feel it where people just have that look of puzzled mm. wonderment mm -hmm. where you just see them understanding and wondering how this changes things right that was a constant in in this uh in this session and um 
you know, it was just lovely how it, it flowed. And, um, and, you know, we could surrender a little to that uh, real-time engagement. And, right. and then, of course, the audience participated very actively in the discussion and conversation that we had. Um, so, uh, so as far as theme selection, that was one example. Another was an event that I had that was focused on formerly foster young people, foster youth. Huh. And I, you know, I'd made I'd made friends with a volunteer from our event who had been who was foster himself and who was struggling to maintain a, a steady existence as a 20 something. And he had this very compelling story that when young people typically have grown up in many foster homes, when they turn 18, they're on their own. They're adults mm. now. Mm. They are no longer accounted for by society and treated as adults just by the arbitrary change of the day. And they don't have the skills and tools and resources that they need to cope as an adult. And every, you know, many um, have resources to give them, but there's no vehicle for that because there's no forum to come for that. So we we held an event. Oh my gosh. It's an enormous issue. I mean, any talk to anyone who works in, in foster care or mental health or um, youth services and so on. The interesting thing is, is that this is, we wanted to take this not from the point of view of a social service provider, but from the point of view of what a healthy maturation process can look like for this audience. Mm -hmm. So what are the tools and resources Mm -hmm. and self-reliance and abilities to start building your own confidence that are needed in, I'll have to say, a fairly resource-poor uh, environment. And, you know, like, I, you know, where do we, you know, these are homeless kids. Where do we store their bags? What is the gift that we can give them? Well, a memory key that they need because that's how they keep their documents is, is, you know, all of the documents they need to have, it's on a little thumb drive. Right. And, it, you know, it was a very powerful day. It was not without its challenges because it's a very difficult audience to plan for. They're very unstable. Um, but you know, it was, that was a, that was an example of one where we were trying to create a specific cultural experience and, and for a specific group of people, um, and the dialogue after that was poignant and powerful. What's, what's interesting, um, listener is the difference between a, a TEDx event, a main stage event where you have 16 speakers. There's no interaction with the audience. There's the interaction is during the break. You can meet speakers and you can talk with others, but in a salon, it's designed to be conversational. Well, yeah, and there are a number of different salon subtypes. Uh, you know, the traditional form is you view a few talks or one or two or three talks, and then you um, have a conversation period or break where you have discussion amongst participants, sometimes in a lar- you know, in the large group. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can use other, other aspects um, uh, for interaction, uh, other ways of doing that, like um, open Q&A during a facilitated conversation. I like the curated conversation where it's designed a little bit like an interview, uh, but experimenting after you've held an event, after you've held your first event, a salon is a good opportunity to bring back a past speaker to help either curate that or to provide updates on the work that they've done. Um, and it's a good way to kind of keep your community connected. And it, it gives you the freedom to try uh, some, right, like you say, Mark, um, opportunities for people to to discuss, uh, not only in private, but 
within the group, across the wider group. And, you know, you can do other in- interactive activities and so on. There's a lot of creative things people do with salons. It's amazing the creativity that people have come up with. When we look at all of the things you end up being good at or getting good at over time, um, I like to think that people will say on the fantasy um, for a second that they have a superpower. That as organizers, there's that one thing that we're we either we like more or we're just gifted at or, or we've become good at. So if I, I'm going to give you six to pick from and tell me which one is yours, organizing, collaborating, producing, marketing, curating, and partnering. Well, I would go with collaborating. I seem to create a natural sense of I'll call it belonging convening. Okay. Okay. You know, like there's a sense of belonging that emerges around me. You know, people just feel like, oh, wow. They feel drawn out in a good way. Yes. And uh, and so that helps me to be a a kind of convener for people's possibilities. Um, You know, that's why I did the uh, TEDx Global Gathering. And, you know, so TEDx Summit happened in 2012, right? This amazing gathering of us in Doha, Qatar. Yep. And um, afterwards, in, in 2013, there was a strong desire to reconvene and reconnect. And of course, as a you know, global diaspora, if you will, of TEDx organizers, <laughs> finding where is the place we could meet together and spend time, right, right. you know, as one. Right. Um, and so, you know, I thought, let's do this online. And so we did the global gathering, which was via, you know, Google Hangouts. And, you know, we had, what, 50, 60 of those uh, events um, in 10 different languages globally over the course of two days in 2013. And it was unbelievable, Um, you know, from Arabic to German to French. You know, we had people coming together internationally, sharing the innovations and ideas that um, that, you know, can only emerge in a place where, you know, your first and really only goal is. How do we create ideas worth spreading and spread them? Um, so, uh, yeah. And then, so to me, that's an act of collaboration. It might be an act of convening or curating or other things. Um, and you're, you, uh, yeah. you, is it a business or a hobby for you to build online communities? Because I know you do that as well. Yes. So, yes. So, um, so basically, my business is Community Knowledge Works, and it grows out of work that I've done at you know Pen Pixel and so on. And I've collaborated with philanthropies, with nonprofits, with governments, with corporations to do a mix of convening gatherings that are real time, you know, real time events. I was an event uh, a network curator for Web of Change, which is a di- digital activist network where we got together for a week. Um, but a lot of the community needed to be built online. So this, the, this idea of it, of any community being only online or offline is less and less the case. It's mostly right, right. now what is the mix of the two that you create the possibility of and, and activate. And, yeah, that's my passion is, is, is creating community effectively and using the best tools that are possible for that. So in the last 12 months, I... Um, I've consulted with organizations that are building uh, ongoing event communities, um, focusing on how libraries can transcend their walls and be idea sharing throughout 
their um, their area, not just as um, a place where books are, but place where people's local voices can be uh, brought together and heard. I created a, a Shark Tank event for oh, uh, a university school of nursing, and um, which was really great, and it helped people get out of their um, you know, people live in boxes, right? Uh, academics live in boxes yeah. where yeah. their idea of research is one thing, but the people that they need to get their revenue and um, f- have their project and research initiatives funded live in a different world. So they need to do that translation. So coaching and working with speakers to do that and then designing the event and helping create that community is another aspect. I think, um, you know, as Nilofer Merchant put it um, in her book, 11 Rules for the Social Era, Purpose and community are the two defining events that determine business success in this current era. We live in a social era. People are connecting. They're connected whether you want to be or not. And the question is really how are you shaping that purpose and those communities effectively? So, yes, I'm looking to find ways to to make that happen in my world. It's – that is that is my profession as well as my My, Mine as well. I'm I'm just – I love that part of what I get to do, helping people collaborate, communicate, get together. And I'm particularly loving uh, the live interactions, the in-person interactions. Uh, almost 20, I think 20 of the 25 uh, initial episode interviewee guests are going to be at TED Fest. And I'm just so, you know, I feel like I know them because I've spent, an, you know, half hour with them on, you know, on the phone. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. and can see them and get the sense of their life and their vitality. But being in person and having a cup of coffee is, is completely different. With as much experience as you have had with the, all the different tastes of Ted, um, what's been the biggest surprise for you? Well, um, I'd say there are two. Um, <laughs> uh, the First was I had an event where our, you know, we had 900 tickets sold and um, um, our after party venue was in the the same general area, but it was a different physical space. And somehow in the, you know, the logistics reservation space, someone else had reserved the after party space Uh that we had had. And, you know, it was like two weeks, three weeks before the event. I don't know. Maybe it was six weeks. I I, I may be telescoping time a little here, but it was urgent that we resolve this issue. Right. And the other venue space was, so we tried to find out everything we could about, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? How are we going to handle this? And we found out that the um, other venue was reserved by the Muslim student society Hmm. at the university. Hmm. And, you know, at, at our TEDx, we had an imam and a rabbi and a priest who were going the interfaith amigos who were going right. to be performing together. And I thought, hmm, I wonder if there's a way we could make this work. And uh, you know, someone on the, our team reached out to them, and we basically invited them to come to the event. And we had an, we had an overflow space, so we felt like, yeah, we can handle the influx of additional people. And they ended up. You know, being able to, you know, change the date of their event, that was just not a problem for them. And they came and they attended the event. And it was, you know, there are so many. It was not the kind of solution that I think I would have been tempted to pursue, um, except in that sort of dire creativity that I think being a TEDx organizer brings out in us. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, (laughs) Yes, dire creativity. You said you had two. You said you had two. 
Yeah, well, I'd say the second is is that um, I would never have guessed how much and how many people have been affected and deeply. I mean, so when I say how much, I mean people's lives. Like you know how people's lives can pivot on a dime. Yes. And and whether it's it, it, you know for me, I've seen people open up an insane door of possibilities, right. meaning completely wildly different from the range of possibilities that they'd had before, whether it was volunteering with us or attending or being a speaker, um, you know, it's completely transformational. Right. Right. right? Um, and that's, that is, that makes the responsibility of being an organizer incredibly humbling because you know that people are willing to go through extraordinary ordeals to contribute at times. And you've got to be super respectful and attentive to make sure that they're doing that with the safety and honor that they deserve. Um, you know, because people risk, you know, going too far sometimes. Right. And, uh, and you need to help make sure they don't do that. Um, uh, and, uh, and honor that. And, and, you know, I can't tell you how many people have, you know, like, you know, whether it's just the quotes of, of speakers saying, listen, I have a New York Times bestselling book, but in the first 48 hours after our talk went live, I reached four times the number of people I had reached with my book in four years. OK, right. right. Or right. watching the global resonance of a talk uh, as the viewership added up in a 24-hour cycle around the world and how different parts of the world would light up as, you know, active users, um, you know, after a talk went live, um, to hearing how a, you know, like a, a prince had, had handed, um, you know, and was telling people about this talk or that talk, you know, crazy, unexpected right. ripples, um, strangers coming up to you, thanking you for things that you had no idea you had given them. In the grocery uh, store. Anywhere. Right? <laughs> you name it. It could exactly. be anywhere. Absolutely. In the grocery store, in a foreign city. Um, you know, it's a it's a gratitude engine. I love that. that it's a have, gra- I love that. It's a gratitude engine. And, and I mean that with all the willingness to sort of surrender deep emotional uh, presence, right? Um, you know, we create a safe, splay, safe place and yeah. safe space to be effectively and deeply moved and to learn things, critical things, things people need to know, want to know, didn't realize it new knowledge that hasn't been shared yet. You know, there's a lot of practicality to it as well as, you know, emotional and um, intellectual depth. One of the things that I try to help with or try to understand is there's, there's a lot of challenges that we go through as well. You know, what, not, you know, I don't know that any of us are trained as event managers or AV guys or web guys or all the various things you have to do. Is there a dragon that you've got to face down kind of on a regular basis or, or maybe one that you slew very early on? Well, I think the, the biggest challenge has been that every time you return to this domain, you do it with this sort of double consciousness that you're aware of all that you've achieved in the past, right? How extraordinary a a prior event was. And you have a a commitment to regenerate that. 
And you've also learned from the mistakes that you've made. Yeah. And you're also conscious of how your audience is going to continue to seek that, <laughs> that risky knife edge between daring possibility and creative experimentalization, experimentalism, uh, and highly qual high quality curated. We've learned from our mistakes and, um, and we do, and we'll continue to bring greatness to the stage. Right. Um, and then as an organizer, part of what that's meant is, is that, you know, complacency does its own work. You don't have to do anything to earn complacency. All you have to do is keep doing. And as soon as you've done something extraordinary, to do that same extraordinary thing is ordinary. It's not, not a, it, no extraordinary thing can be done twice. The second time it's done, it's ordinary. So that means that there's this inertia. If you, if you have surrendered to the spirit of this, this um, magical beast, <laughs> which I think is what in the sense TEDx is, right? It's this sure, magical beast sure. that allows us to bring something forward that we couldn't on our own, right? And, the, and, you know, Chris and the TED staff and the TEDx staff and every organizer and everyone who's ever participated in this has helped to create this. Each time you return to it, you need to take it to a new level. And, I, and for me, that has meant an exponential increase each year in risk-taking, Okay. So that's a great segue to <laughs> my question of your next event. What is, what are you looking forward to? <laughs> well, let me just say that I've decided to shift the domains in which I'm taking risk, right? I did look down the maw of the dragon in the sense of I've reached my own extreme comfort level. And that's what led to my allowing someone who has much more of a manager orientation. I'm more of the visionary leader yep. at when our event yep. bridged 2000, 2,500 people, it was time for me to move on. And then of course I've seek, sought new domains. Um, so Elizabeth Coppinger is the, the licensee for TEDx Seattle and is doing a great job with that in, 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 a, in a different way than I would have. I mean, in a great way. I mean, fortunately. <laughs> so, um, so you're asking, you're shifting the question to, so, so for me, the question is, I, what I, what I want to do is focus on generating the audience engagement and the community engagement experience in, um, in, in more, in more ways. I want to, to bring out and find ways for people to in, engage deeply and meaningfully um, and, and actively. And um, and part of that is that's where I'm, you know, I'm taking risks in other areas of my life and participating in TEDx is taking this shape and time. I'm, you know, I'm not I'm not in some ways as, you know, like um, I'm not as over invested as I was, I think, at other times, um, you know, in a way, you know, because because I worked for Ted, you know, I worked uh, for Kelly on the TED team for a year and got to see the majesty and wonder mm, behind mm, the way mm, that mm. team does its work. Right. And, and that's continued to grow and shift. And so I've been playing more of a mentor role. I led a TEDx workshop not long ago for regional organizers and I continue to mentor and helping to play this role as empowering others um, is where I've been called, where I feel called to this day. Um, 
so so my passion and and, and my engagement is in, in trying to bring the spirit out into the world. I want to live in a world where every day people can ask questions like the ones you hear at TED and TEDx. Yeah. Like, what's yeah. your passion? Tell me what you're excited about today. You know, what challenge have you either overcome or are you striving to overcome? I want our interactions. I want our um, social dynamic to be like that. And uh, and so I'm I'm striving to make that happen in a you know in 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 one-on-one relationships and ongoing smaller group relationships um, in developing a, a mix of other kinds of um, activities and events. I'm doing it one show at a time. Exactly. Yeah. That, right. Just getting yeah. to have that same exact conversation. So yes, I now have this mythical, magical uh, airline partner who can whisk you off to any TEDx in the world and the free time to enjoy it, where are we taking you? Well, I, I've wanted to go to TEDx Paris for some time. Um, TEDx Paris, TEDx Zurich, TEDx Brussels, TEDx Amsterdam. Um, I haven't been to a TEDx in Asia. TEDx Chiang, Chiang Mai, I Chiang think, Mai. in Thailand. Yeah, Chiang, Chiang Mai. Mai. Chiang Mai. Yeah. Uh, I would love to go to TEDx Kyoto. Um, <laughs> you know, like there's no shortage. So, you know, like Mark and I are pretty deeply aware of this and hopefully many of you are, but if you aren't, there's a, you're joining, if you become an organizer, a, a community of people who, um, who can unlock amazing doors for you, right? So it's not just an airline partner. It's a couch surfing partner. It's a, it's a, you know, friend for life. It's someone who can, you can share stories with. Um, and I've, you know, I've done multi-week traveling trips, which, where I spent, you know, two days in my own solitude and the rest of the time with TEDx organizers, um, backpacking in Europe and, um, you know, in other places. So, um, when you grow your participation in the community, your community expands to, to reciprocate that. Amen to all of that. I want to end with, uh, I, all the questions are my favorite questions. It's my show. So I get to ask whatever questions I want. Right. And they're all the things that I care about, that I'm so curious about. My last one though, is we, as you know, we've, we've already discussed it's, you know, it's all volunteer. It's, it's challenging to raise funds. It's challenging to, um, you know, spend those funds um, in as uh, judicious a way as possible and make that money last as best we can, which requires us to, the, our American audience will get this, but we've got to be a bit of a MacGyver, right? We've got to kind of hack this thing to figure out how to make it work. Do you have a best hack that you would share with our audience? Uh, well, my true my true hack is to make every day a TEDx worthy day, right? I love um, it. So well, there you approach go. every engagement and every interaction, um, whether it's planning your family activities or your own small community activities or your own two hours free every Saturday. Um, do it with a curatorial sense of possibility and of making that time most valuably spent. Um, uh, be more afraid 
Spoken <laughs> like a Tedster, my friend. That's exactly because you, you can't escape once that is in your DNA. You look at everything that way. And I'm so glad you put it that way because that's, that's exactly how that's what happens to you, right? It's certainly one of the things. There's a lot of things that happen, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, like I, I think I've become more fearful of loving less than of loving more. And it's a very counterintuitive, um, urge and commitment, right. To, um, to love more as the default state and to go deeper, right. You know, Chris Anderson has this wonderful phrase that he's said for years, which is that, the more you know, the more there is to know. And that sense mm. of the field of wonder only gets bigger the more you explore it, I think is at the heart of what we're doing. And and it, and there are certain, um, like you say, uh, there's certain, there are certain things that go along with that. And one of them is, is that you've got to keep growing your love and, um, and what you can offer as well as um, – being less fearful of it. Phil, thank you so much for joining us on the show. This, um, this, this grand experiment <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're on and, uh, and be, and being a part of, of, you know, a core group of people that, you know, there's thousands of us out there that are on this yeah. mission and, you know, there's campfires <laughs> all over the world where we're telling mm. stories and this is just another one of them. So thanks so much for joining us and uh, we, we wish you all the best in everything you're doing and hope to see you soon. Thanks so much, Mark. Have a great and joyous day. Thanks for listening to Hacking the Red Circle. Have an idea for a guest for the show or would you like to tell us your TEDx story? Just drop me a note in an email to mark at hackingtheredcircle.com. Please be sure to rate, write, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Makes a huge difference. And share the show with your team as we seek to grow our audience around the world. Until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for Hacking the Red Circle.